Amen. Thanks, Emily. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Good morning online. Um, is it just me, or have we got to that point in the autumn where it's starting to feel like, oh, I'm tired again? My summer holiday feels like a while back. Is it just me? No, you're all shaking your heads, but too tired to put your hands up. Um, I totally get that. Um, so this morning, to get us going, I've got a very short but fun, hopefully, word association game. If you're here, the deal is you kind of put your hand up and give me the answer. If you're online, feel free to drop the answers on the live chat. There are no prizes. It's just to get you warmed up. So basically, two things, the statements will be two things that go well together. They're better when you put them together, like Rich and... Kath, great. So um, we'll put them on the slide, see if you can work out what they are. There's no right or wrong answer. There could be multiple answers to some of these, although there's some obvious ones. So the first one is bacon and eggs. Yes, very good. Second one would be cheese and cheese and toast. <laughs> Who said that? Cheese and wine is what I was thinking. Yes. And someone, did someone say crackers, cheese and crackers? Uh, if Mark Carrington was here, he'd just say cheese and cheese. Um, there we go. Next one, a little different. MOT and service. Very good. Someone's had their Weetabix this morning. Um, sometimes it's MOT and bill, isn't it? It's like, oh, Lord. Or MOT and pray. Um, okay. Uh, on site and... Online. Very good staff team, on brand as ever. Fun and laughter. Good. Fun and games, which leads me neatly back round to the quiz night, ladies and gentlemen, which I hope you're going to come to. We all need to have some fun, don't we, together as we come out of lockdown, God willing. Uh, and so I'd love to see you at that. Now, this teaching series we're in called This Is Us is trying to get us to think again what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the people of God? And what we're asking really is two questions. Who are we biblically? And therefore, given that, how are we called to go about living our lives together as the people of All Saints Worcester or any church perhaps for God, with God, for the sake of the world. So if you have a Bible uh, with you, I'd love you to open it to Matthew chapter 22. And this will be on the screen if you're online uh, and in the building, actually. And we're going to read a little passage from Matthew's Gospel. And looking at this morning at two things, see if you can spot it, that go best together. Okay, there was a link between the uh, opening game and what we're going to look at this morning. So that same day, Sorry, verse 23 to the end of uh, the chapter. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question to come to Jesus. Teacher, they said, Rabbi, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. It's a hypothetical uh, uh, scenario they're giving Jesus here. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, they say, at the resurrection, Jesus, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, pause for a moment. 
what they're trying to do here is trick Jesus. You've got the Sadducees who, oversimplifying it slightly, are more liberal in their theology. They believed in kind of getting into kind of cahoots with the powers that be. They were up for partnering with Rome. Uh, And then you've got the Pharisees who were the kind of hardcore uh, Jewish faction who wanted to preserve the law and were purists, if you like, in that. And both of them in different ways in the course of Jesus' life, trying to get them, get him to say things that could kind of show that they are right and he is wrong, so they could get, have a reason to get rid of him. That's essentially what's going on here. So they present this ridiculous scenario to Jesus, trying to trick him. Notice his reply, verse 29. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? That's a dig at them saying there's no resurrection, but they believe in the scriptures. Have you not read them? How did you read them and conclude there's no resurrection? That's the whole question they're asking him, right? What about the resurrection? And the irony is they don't believe in the resurrection. So he sees right through that and calls them and says, hang on, don't play that game with me. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, there's so much in here that we could talk about. But today, we're going to focus in on one statement that Jesus made. But hopefully, you understand the context in which it's coming. Here is Jesus on the spot being asked a question. They're trying to trick him, and his answer gives us insight into how you and I need to think through and work out our faith together in community. Because if we don't get it right, we too easily find ourselves, don't we, in those same scenarios where someone puts us on the spot, and we don't know what to say. (laughs) And what I want to focus in on this morning is verse 29. He says to them, you are in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. What an accusation. The Sadducees, who believed that they were the kind of, they were articulating the faith in a compelling and truest way. He says, you don't know the scriptures you say you know. You don't know the power of God of the God you say you know. And here's the point for today. You and I are called as the people of God, to be people of both the Scriptures and the Spirit. Both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Do we know the Scriptures? Do we know the power of God? Now, I'm going to unpack this because it's full of nuance, and I know there's all sorts of baggage around terms like this. But here is Jesus saying to them, you don't know either. And it haunts me. And as we think about being the church in this new season, I want us to be a church that is centered and rooted in and formed and shaped by the Scriptures. Yes. And the life-giving Holy Spirit who brings us into the presence of God, who pours out the gifts of God, who pours out the life of God into us. So Word and Spirit, two things that are better together, ladies and gentlemen. And it needs explaining because it's a bit of a clunky term. It's not one that we tend to use too often around here because it's, as I say, got some baggage attached to it. I'm not just saying that we believe in the Bible 
and that there's a Holy Spirit. Most Christians would say, yeah, I believe in the Scriptures and I believe there's a Holy Spirit. We're talking about something more specific here. It's a shorthand way of saying three things. Number one, that we believe in the absolute authority and accuracy of Scripture. That this isn't just a book with some nice words, but that this is authoritative. That's a whole other sermon. If you want to hear about it, we can point you in the right direction. But we believe that this is a holy book, inspired by God, authored by God. And if it's authored by God, he has the authority through it. Yes? That's really, really important. And sometimes, believing that puts us at odds with ecclesiastical tradition. It puts us at odds, for sure, with contemporary culture. And we've got to be prepared, are we as the people of God, to say we're people of the book, people of the word, people of the scriptures. Now, I actually think when we get our heads around this and our hearts around this, aided by the revelation that the Spirit brings, actually this book stops being something that we're kind of slightly embarrassed about and don't know how to reconcile with our experience of the world and becomes this beautiful gift that helps us frame it and make sense of it and understand the world and be good news to it and speak good news to it. But you won't get to that place, I don't think, without the help of the Holy Spirit as well. So the second thing I'm saying is that we are committed to actively engaging with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit today. Eagerly desiring, as Paul says, in the Scriptures, the spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy. And taking the vision of the early church in Acts, which was this word and spirit community formed in the crucible of the resurrection. And those raw days of Pentecost, which showed us what life can be like when we together as a humble group of people partner with God, who speaks through his word and through his Holy Spirit. And so third and finally, I want us to be a church that learns to engage with them, not just word there and spirit there, a bit of both, keep them both happy, not that, but learns to see how they interrelate, how they collaborate, how they put them together, they become this gift to us. We're not saying, and the danger sometimes with statements like word and spirit is that we're saying somehow that there's, a, there's a tension between the two that we have to somehow reconcile and hold the whole time. We're not saying that. What we're saying is it's word and spirit, not word and spirit. And actually, that's really important because if we don't get the interrelation right, if we don't see how they connect together, then actually we'll end up potentially with a skew to one or the other, which actually is not good for any of us. They interact, they collaborate, they're meant to come together. The scriptures, they always point to Jesus. The spirit always points to Jesus. And if the scriptures are right, they tell us a whole lot about the spirit. And we know we're engaging with the spirit well when it's consistent and in alignment with what the scriptures say about him and what it means to be people of the Spirit. They do not need to be in tension. They're designed to go together. And we see this, I think, throughout the New Testament. I've just picked out four little passages to illustrate the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this in verses 4 and 5, my message, my, my, my message and my preaching we're not with wise and persuasive words. So he's speaking the scriptures. He's teaching the scriptures. But he says, it wasn't my brilliant teaching. What it was, was with a demonstration 
of the Spirit's power. The Word and the Spirit were both encountered as he did what he did. Why? So that their faith might not rest on human wisdom. Rich Johnson's brilliant exegesis of a passage because he had all week to dive into the commentaries. No, because when the Spirit was at work through the preaching, revelation of who God is came, and it was matched with an experience of the life-giving Holy Spirit. Have a look a bit later on in the same chapter. Paul says this, what we have received is not, verse 12, sorry, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And remember, Jesus said, it's better for you that I go and I send my spirit in place of me. He said of that same spirit, he will be with you to the very end of the age. He will guide you into all truth, he says. In other words, he will come and help bring this alive and meaningful. And so Paul is saying, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us, brackets, in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This, he says, is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. I think the slides uh, for all of these passages, if you're online, we'll get them up just so you can see them. The next one, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. For we know, he says, this is Paul again, brothers and sisters, loved by God. Brothers and sisters, loved by God. God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel, in other words, our message that's in here, this book, we'll come to that in a moment, came to you not simply, he says, with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You guys know this. There are times where someone is preaching the scriptures and the Spirit of God does something in you through that process as you listen. It's more than just information. It's more than just, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's helpful. Something happens. There's a conviction. There's a, sometimes it's like a heavy thing of like, oh my goodness, I need to pay attention to this. And other times it's like, oh, thank goodness. It's the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit sometimes is raw and massive and in your face, but most of the time it's very gentle. But it's powerful nonetheless. And then finally, Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and this is a famous verse. Some of you will know this one. For the word of God, he says, is alive and powerful. The word of God is alive and powerful. And Paul, who I think wrote Hebrews, is saying here that this is not a dead book. It's alive because the Spirit is in it all and uses it all, and it's a partnership. That the Spirit of God gives gifts of teaching and preaching to those called to do it, so that when it's opened up, it's not just information, it's revelation. And he says this, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, it does the job it's meant to do. To teach us who God is. Who we are. What life is about. What it means to be human. Why his death on the cross mattered. Why his resurrection mattered. What the story is going to look like at the end. How we can be confident that the lamb wins. That's what this book does. It's so central to what we do. But without the Spirit, it just often is words. 
And correspondingly, if we only have the Spirit and not the Word, it's just feelings and experiences. We need them both. Through the Scriptures and the Spirit, God is at work in the world. And he's at work in you. And he's at work in me. And we're called as the people of God to be Word and Spirit people. So, given all of this... What does this mean for us? What does it look like in practice? I want to suggest three things this morning. And these are kind of obvious in a way, but I'm stating it as we regroup in this season. The first is that we need to develop a spirituality, a practice together and individually that engages both the Word and the Spirit. Not some of the Word over there, some of the Spirit over there. So over the course of time, yeah, I've done a bit of both, but the Spirit and the Word coming together in our lives, in our church life. This is true for you and I as apprentices to Jesus. I'm always struck by, you know, the revelation of Jesus to those first disciples as they're on the, on the road, away, walking away from Jerusalem. And they have this encounter with Jesus. They don't realize it's Jesus. And he's telling them the story of Jesus. And then eventually they have this moment of clarity, realize who it is. But they say, oh, our hearts were warmed. I'm like, the Spirit of God was there too. How much fun do you think the Spirit and the Son are having all the time? When they look at how we're gathering, yeah. They're gathering around the Word and the Spirit. They're gathering around you, Jesus. The Father's looking to Jesus. The Spirit's looking to Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, but Dad, it's all for you. It's all through you, Holy Spirit. We're getting drawn into the Trinity, this community that we're a part of. This is really important. This isn't just for a healthy, balanced church. This is for our growth, for our witness, for our vitality as a people called to live differently in and for the world. And my heart For this church, which is the only one I have any influence over, really, is that actually our common life together and our individual lives as part of it would speak both to the power of the Scriptures and the power of the Spirit. That they would only make sense if you had both of those in the mix. That we'd be be living lives shaped by and rooted in the Scriptures. That we'd know them, not just here, but here. That they would form us and inform us, but also that we'd be able to talk about an experience of the Spirit so that actually we would know what's going on for us. I know some Christians who know the Bible really well, but they don't know the Spirit particularly well. And I know some Christians who know the Spirit really, really well, but aren't necessarily rooted in the Scriptures. And all of us will have a preference and a leaning perhaps to one over the other. But in both of those scenarios, we're missing out on the fullness of life in God. Um, Tech Desk, I wonder if we could just drop the slide so that people online can still see us. That would be great. Hello, if you're there. We're still here. Um, I was reflecting a little bit on my uh, journey of faith. I came to faith uh, towards the end of my university years, and I had been in a church environment a little bit, uh, which kind of initially worked really well for me because it was much more of an intellectual space. And someone, if you know me, I like that. That's how my brain works first. But actually, I, I realized it was just quite hard work. It was mental assent to a set of ideas. It wasn't tangible and real for me. I hadn't seen it lived out well in a community of people. And it it felt like really hard work. 
And so I'd got my head around some of the truths of the Christian faith. In fact, I remember doing an Alpha course and realizing that I kind of understood it better than I realized and found myself kind of arguing for the faith, even though I wasn't sure of it. But it didn't fire up in me. It wasn't until I met this wonderful girl, beautiful girl, who had come to faith and been filled with the Spirit, that I realized there was a bit missing. And so when I encountered the Spirit, it was like, I fired up. And actually, I didn't lose my love for the Word. In fact, that grew more than ever. And maybe that's your experience as well. And I say that because I want to make sure all of us are honest and real about our experience of all of this. At the risk of oversimplifying this, the Scriptures tell us what and why about God. But the power of the Spirit is to help us live it. It's the how. Jesus says, it's better for you that the Spirit comes. You need him. I'm sending him as a gift to you so that you can be all that this book tells you you're called to be. You need both. I feel like I'm preaching to the converted this morning. Maybe not. I don't know. Have a think. David Watson, the great Anglican priest, says this. All word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. It's a bit cheesy, but it's good because we remember it. But he says both word and spirit, we grow up. It's the both and. So a question as we pause for a moment. How is this expressed in your life, your spirituality? Are you more word or more spirit? Do you recognize that perhaps you need to lean into the other to make sure they're dovetailing with each other in your life? Are you more likely to pick up the scriptures or listen to some worship music and pray in this power of the Spirit? Both are good. We need them both. But actually, we have to be really careful that we don't miss one at the expense of the others. And there's all sorts of reasons for why that might be true for you. We're not going to go into that today, but it's worth thinking through. Secondly, then, uh, we need to intentionally engage with both the scriptures and the spirit, intentionally engage. Recognizing that we need an integrated spirituality, yes, great, but we actually have to intentionally do something about that. That has to take shape in our lives. That has to become part of our disciplines, our practices. This aspiration we might have will only become a reality as we intentionally pursue an integrated spirituality. This, I think, was normative in the early church. So Colossians chapter 3 Verse 16, Paul writes this, Let the message about Christ in all its fullness fill your lives. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. In other words, it needs lived out, experienced, worked out in community, shaping how you do everything. Work, play, rest, hospitality, generosity, family, parenting, any of those things, are they shaped by the message of Christ and Christ himself. And then he says this, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. How? Through the Spirit and the Word. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're good at that. To God with thankful hearts. It's all one package. Do you see that? It's really, really important. So the emphasis here on both, I think, is really evident in that passage. And actually, if you read church history, it's there too. And I want it to be evident in our life and your life and my life more than ever. And so that's why when we gather on a Sunday like we do today, we make time to sing 
and to sing in partnership with the Spirit, not just to sing a few songs, hope God hears, but to, to spend time recognizing that we're attending to the presence of God, that by His Spirit, He's there, that when we sing, we can experience something of God's presence through his Holy Spirit. That's why we don't rush out. That's why we have those moments of just waiting in that space and enjoying God. But that's why we also make time to open this up and not rush. And I know some of you would love five more songs and 20 minutes less preaching. I know. You get that on the slots when I'm not preaching, basically. Because I also know there are some of you who would like... Can we sing a bit less and have a bit more teaching? And so we're trying to blend it over the course of time. That's my excuse anyway. But that's also why we make room to pray for one another, to pray in the power of the Spirit. It's why beyond the Sunday we make things like hungry happen, where there's unhurried space to encounter God's presence and the Scriptures. It's why we spend time writing life group study notes. So when you meet in your life groups this week, you can come together as a smaller cohort, more of that next week, and think through... What does this mean? How will this shape my life? It's why you and I, as hard as it is, and you know what I'm about to say, need to make time in your day to open the Bible, to read it, and to read it in partnership with the Spirit so that it's more than just words. It's food. It's guidance. It's encouragement. It's life. It's why you need to make time to be filled with the Spirit, to rest in God's presence, whether you feel something physically or not. The Scriptures and the Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, this very famous passage is so important. If you need any convincing of the importance of the Scriptures, uh, the writer says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's this sense of ruach. The Spirit of God, it's breathed by God, it's spoken by God. The same Spirit that was hovering over creation, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that is in you breathed this book into being. And so when we open it, God is with us through these pages. It's an extraordinary, wonderful truth. And it is useful, we're told. That sounds almost utilitarian, it's badly translated. It's meant to say it's gifted to you for rebuking. So teaching, rebuking, which is another funny word, correcting and training in righteousness, becoming truly human. This book, it's not so that we're not bad. It's not just so that we don't sin. It's not just so that we're those squeaky clean, slightly annoying Christians at work. This is a book to say this teaches you how to become who Jesus set you free to be. But without the Spirit of God helping you then live into that, it will just feel like hard work. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, without God's Spirit, there is nothing we can do that will count for God's kingdom. Without God's Spirit, he says, the church simply can't be the church. If you heard a few weeks ago, we spoke about that. The holy temple, the dwelling place of God's spirit on earth. That's what the church is. But he also says this. The Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with. It's the book I live by. And it's the book I want to die by. He's like, both. And if you've got a phone, my guess is you've got a Bible app on your phone. So you have the scriptures with you wherever you go. 
and you can get an audio version of it for free. So when you're sat in traffic or waiting for the train or you're waiting for something else, you can whip out your phone and you've got a choice, haven't you? You can scroll through social media or you can get out the Bible. When you're on a train and you're coming back from a meeting and you're tired, you can put it on in your ears. A friend of mine said that the other day, and he fell asleep and missed his stop. So it does come with a slight health warning. So a question as we pause, and don't worry, I'm nearly done. Do you do that? Do you make time? Do I make time to read the scriptures and in doing so in a conscious, I'm doing this with the spirit kind of way or not? There's no, there's no silver bullet to spiritual growth. It's just time with God in the scriptures with the Spirit. That's how it works. So if you find people who you think, wow, you're spiritually alive, drill down. I guarantee you they'll tell you day in, day out. That's their discipline. Kath and I, we just concluded our stage of life. We just have to get up before anyone else. Just have to get up. The phone, the watch buzzes. I don't have my phone upstairs. My watch buzzes and I'm like, ah. Kath was better at getting up this morning, I have to say, than I was. But that's because she was praying in the 24-3 prayer slot as well. Finally then, you're doing very well. Thank you for being patient. This is important. I want to suggest that we need to find fresh confidence in both the scriptures and the work of the Spirit. As we come out of pandemic mode, at least, it's time for some fresh faith in what God can do, in what God wants to do through the book and through his spirit, through the church, through you, through me. Right now, we are tired as the people of God because we're people. Right now, the church has got a million and one questions, not just this one. You know, but right now, the world needs the people of God. And all we have to offer them is God. <laughs> That's what they need. They need people like you and me who have fresh confidence in the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the church. As apprentices of Jesus, people practicing the way of Jesus, we need it for ourselves, don't we, right now? Does this still, is this still true? Do I believe it? Can I build my life on it? Will I build my life on it? We need each other to help us in that. It's a community quest. But also, do I believe as we go out on mission again that actually when we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel like Jess so brilliantly taught us last week, that God actually does something? Do we believe that or not? Another way of talking about word and spirit is two words, evangelical and charismatic. And I'm addressing this just quickly because it's come up a lot in conversation. Those two words also are really nuanced and need clarifying because there's loads of baggage. And they don't necessarily mean what people think they mean. Certainly when I use them carefully, I always have to say, what I mean by that is this. <laughs> Otherwise people go, oh my goodness, you're some freaky Christian. And maybe we are, but let's be freaky because... God is real, not because we're weird. That's a whole other sermon as well. <laughs> oh, Lord, why do I say these things? Um, the term evangelical simply comes from the Greek word evangelikon, euangelion, sorry, which means gospel or good news. When I say I'm an evangelical, what I'm saying is I believe that this is good news. That's it, that it's the truest thing in the world that it's public truth, that it demands a response, but it's a gift of God in grace. 
and it can transform your life. That's what I mean. It's not a style. It's actually not even a doctrinal statement. There is doctrine under that. There has to be. But that's not what we camp around. We camp around the conviction that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the whole universe, and I will die for that. That's what it means. The 39 Articles of the Church of England, which, of course, you've all memorized, um, which is this set of historically defining statements for the doctrine and practice of the Church of England. There's a gap between theory and practice. That's a whole other talk as well. Probably shouldn't have said that either. But number six says, The Holy Scripture contains all things necessary for salvation. I believe that. I believe that. So that makes me an evangelical. For sure... How we handle it, how we engage with it, we need to learn how it works. We need to understand it's a library of books that you interpret and engage with it differently. We all bring filters and blind spots and fears and assumptions to it. We have to discern that in community. We have to be really careful how we do that. We have to know why we believe it says what it says and check it's right. But let's not be nervous about it. Let's not be nervous about it. It's God-breathed truth. The second thing is that we're charismatics. I'm a charismatic. That word simply means, it comes from the Greek charismata, gifts of grace. God in his grace has gifted us these things of his spirit so that we can be truly human, so that we can be his body, so that we can do the things he's told us to do. Jesus models that. He is fully human. He does everything in the power and gift of the Holy Spirit. And he sends us in his name and in the same power that he was sent in to continue the mission. So that's why I'm a charismatic. For me, it's not an experience. It's not a style. It's not a culture. In fact, I have a real problem with a lot of that because it's often not particularly charismatic <laughs> and often not always biblical. We have to be so careful, word and spirit. I simply mean that I'm someone who believes that the spirit continues to be involved intimately and actively in the life of the church and you and me, that each one of us is being gifted and called, and anointed, and sent, is invited into the presence of God to live in that place, like I spoke about recently, and to go from there in confidence. I was reflecting earlier, I'm not going to say who it was, but someone came into the life of our church a few years ago now, not a Christian, not sure even what she believed, had never really been to church, but came to listen to a friend of hers teach. And she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit while she was sat in a chair listening. She had no frame of reference for that at all. It wasn't weird. It wasn't wacky. It was just sovereign move of God. And she, it absolutely transformed her life. She's actually now getting ordained and becoming a church leader, which is crazy. So she encountered God through his spirit. I encountered God through the word but you need the both to come together to fire up. So I've got complete confidence in the Scriptures and in the power of the Spirit that when you and I go and we pray for the sick, when we dare to speak out our faith in that moment of nervousness, you know, when you think your heart is pounding, but I need to tell them about Jesus. I need to offer to pray. They might think I'm nuts, that God does something. I've met so many people who, over lockdown, have had an encounter with a brush with the Spirit of God. And they need it framing and naming. And so when we know the Spirit in our lives, we can identify and spot it in someone else's and go, yeah, that's God. That's God. 
That's just God. Someone came in through this. To, I was in here doing something the other day. Someone knocked on the door, said they could they come in and take some photos. They said, it's very peaceful in here. I said, yeah, have a, have a rest. And they were like, wow, what is it in here? It's the presence of God. I said, it's the presence of God. Wow. And then they went. It's <laughs> like, so, okay. So I probably should have invited them to Alpha, but I, I didn't. Uh, Lyndon Bowering, who's a Christian leader, and I'll finish with this, says, wouldn't it be great if those who come to see will hear and those who come to hear will see? Both hands. Friends, let's be a church and let's be people of God who wholeheartedly and confidently pursue the way of Jesus with both the Scripture and the Spirit shaping us, guiding us, and empowering us. And let's be a church that believes that the word proclaimed has power to reveal God to people, that the Spirit is able to work powerfully in the lives of people all around us. And all we have to do, all we have to do is go there first and then share it. That's it. It's not hard. You up for that? Are you up for that? Great. Let's pray. What I'd love you to do, if you're able, is stand. Because all of this is a work of the Spirit. Us knowing Jesus in the first place, it's a work of the Spirit. Us being able to get up in the morning is a work of the Spirit because there's breath in our lungs. It's gift. It's all gift. And I just think the heart of Jesus would be that you and I, we're not afraid of the Spirit. We're not intimidated by the Scriptures. That we add a fresh encounter of the living Word, Jesus, through the written Word a fresh encounter with the Spirit of God would be people who stand calmly, humbly, confidently for Jesus.